Hi, crime junkies. It's Ashley here. And you all know how ready I am at any moment to drop down the rabbit holes of mysterious cases to look for answers. And there's actually one right now that I cannot stop spiraling about with more rabbit holes than I can count. In this season of Counterclock, investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra begins investigating Doug Wag Jr.'s mysterious death after he was found struck on a strip of railroad tracks. But the more Delia has dug into this case, the stranger things have gotten. And you guys, there is truly so much going on. A string of mysterious deaths, a bank robbery gone wrong, conspiracy, corruption, and it may all be connected. You can binge all of Counterclock Season 6 right now in the Crime Junkie Fan Club, or you can listen to new episodes weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Recently, I've been sleeping flat on my belly, and my chiropractor said that if I'm going to do that, I should really have as firm a mattress as possible. So... I didn't have to get a new mattress. I just cranked my sleep number up all the way to 100, and I've avoided any lower back pain that sometimes comes with belly sleeping. J.D. Power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number Store or sleepnumber.com. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. Sometimes it's challenging to connect with friends and family who aren't native English speakers. So learn their language with the most trusted language learning program, Rosetta Stone. Their efficient, immersive lessons are used and beloved by millions. The true accent feature even provides feedback on your pronunciation. Learn on the go with convenient, flexible, and customizable lessons as short as 10 minutes. For a very limited time, our listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash crime junkie. Hi, crime junkies. I'm your host, Ashley Flowers. And I'm Britt. And the story I have for you today is about two young men, friends since childhood, who were ringing in the new year with their wives and two other friends on the beautiful Caribbean island of Anguilla. But long before the clock struck midnight, tragedy struck instead. And the families of those two men have been left to try and piece together the truth about what happened from almost 4,000 miles away. This is the story of Casey McPherson Pomeroy and Caleb Guillory.
It's almost 10 p.m. on December 30th, 2018, when a call comes into police dispatch on the Caribbean island of Anguilla. On the other end of the line is a woman named Alicia Gross, and she's saying that her friend is not breathing and they need an ambulance. Police and paramedics arrive a few minutes later to a chaotic scene in an apartment in Island Harbor. There are six people in the apartment, and one of them, 37-year-old Caleb Guillory, is dead, laying on his back on the living room floor. Before they can really even start asking questions to try and figure out what actually happened, a second man, 37-year-old Casey McPherson Pomeroy, starts having seizures in the next room, the bedroom. Oh my God. According to a report filed by a detective from the Royal Anguilla Police Force, paramedics rush Casey into an ambulance to take him to the hospital, and police stay behind to speak to the four people still in the apartment to try and figure out what happened. Now, one thing is clear from the very start. All six of the people who'd been in the apartment are American, not Anguillan. They learn that Casey and his wife Barbara have been living on the island for the last few months so that Casey can attend medical school there. The rest of the group, Caleb and his wife Carly, along with friends Chuck and Alicia Gross, are visiting from the U.S. Casey has known both Caleb and Chuck for years, since like they were elementary-aged kids growing up in Eagle Point, Oregon. So he and Barbara had invited them and their wives down to Anguilla to ring in the new year with them. And the six of them had just gotten home from a night out at a local beach bar when, apparently out of nowhere, they say that Caleb started having convulsions. Carson Courier reported for KTVL News that Casey started CPR on Caleb before the paramedics arrived to try and revive him, but he wasn't able to. And then he just started having seizures right after? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if it was like right after, but the police report just says a short while after. But it was while the first responders were still there. Right. And just to be clear, neither of these guys had any sort of like underlying condition that would cause seizures or anything. Yeah, well, there's no mention of that in the source material for this case, but based on kind of how things unfolded from here, I don't think that they did. Right, like it seems like really shocking and surprising for everyone. Yeah, and almost right away, Casey's wife Barbara starts talking about how the two of them must have been poisoned. Okay, poisoned with what? Well, I'm not sure anyone knows what, but they do have a good idea about how. So apparently, the two had shared a drink at the very end of the night. Now, there are several versions of this story, and the details vary slightly in each one, but the broad strokes are the same. Apparently, they were on their way home, and Casey had realized that he had forgotten his flip-flops. So he and Caleb went back to this little beachside bar to get them. And when they were there, they got one drink, this rum and coke, which they shared while they were looking for the flip-flops. Now, Barbara says that the drink was left unattended briefly while they were looking, but once they found them, Casey and Caleb headed back to Casey's apartment. They took the drink with them, and they were, like, finishing it along the way. Okay, just to pause for a second, Casey left the bar without any shoes on and like no one really noticed this on the way home. It sounds strange. I mean, it made me question kind of how much maybe they actually had to drink that night or how out of it they really were. But I mean, also think about the setting. I mean, they're living on the beach. The bar is literally on the beach a few minutes away. They're probably walking on the beach from the bar to home. So do you know if your feet are in the sand or your feet are in flip-flops in the sand? I don't know. Okay, that's fair. But to kind of go back, like again, it also could be a possibility that they had just been drinking a lot. And police are for sure curious about how much the group had been drinking and maybe what else had been going on. Because one of the things that police notice while they're at the apartment is that of all of the people, Barbara, Carly, Chuck, Alicia, they're all acting kind of strange. Okay, strange how? So in the report, it literally just says, quote, abnormal behavior, absent-minded, end quote. 
which I kind of read as like they're out of it, which to be fair, could just be from the shock of everything that just happened, or maybe it's from alcohol that they were drinking, but police are concerned enough to bring all four of them to the hospital to get checked out just in case. Now, unfortunately, despite the hospital's best efforts, Casey actually dies later that night. But thankfully, Barbara, Carly, Chuck, and Alicia are checked out by medical staff and they're all released, but they're not sent home. Instead, they're taken into police custody and held there for nearly three days. On January 4th, a pathologist does autopsies on both bodies and afterward sends them to two separate funeral homes on the island so that families can make arrangements to get the remains home. And at this point, they are all just anxious to get home. And Barbara tells Casey's family that the fastest and least complicated way to get the four of them plus the two sets of the remains back home is to have the bodies cremated. According to a 2021 episode of Investigation Discovery's show, Still a Mystery, Casey's extended family, so his mom and his stepdad, his dad, his sister, they want to bring his body back home to Oregon so he can be laid to rest. Caleb's too, for that matter. A family friend even offers to fly to Anguilla in a private plane, pick up all four of them and both bodies and fly them all back to the U.S. But Barbara refuses that offer and says even that is going to take too long. They need to get out of Anguilla now. They feel like their lives may be in danger. What? Like, in what way? Honestly, I don't know if Barbara ever kind of expanded on that. Like, the source material doesn't go into any more detail about why she and the others were so fearful for their lives, just that they were afraid. And of course, the family doesn't want to push back on these two women who have just lost their husbands, tragically and unexpectedly, in a foreign country. But the idea of cremation at this point just seems wrong. I mean, on one hand, I kind of get it. I had an uncle die out of state, which is still in country, but... The idea of and the costs of like moving his body from where he lived to where the rest of his family was buried was exponential. And so cremation was the best plan for us. But I mean, in this case, they've already done an autopsy on the bodies, right? Like, do we know what those say? Well, so yes, there has been an autopsy done, though at this stage, no one has actually seen the report or even heard any of the findings, which is why cremation seems to everyone kind of like a rash decision at this point, especially in light of that offer that the friend gave with the private plane. Right. Like that's basically saying that there's no cost to move the bodies anymore. And especially since there are so many unanswered questions about these deaths. Like, I don't know how your uncle died, but if it were mysteriously and his wife's talking about, you know, he could have been poisoned. Like, in my mind, it's like, we got to pump the brakes. And I understand if they needed to get out and that needed to happen quickly. But like, let's wrap up this investigation and, and find out what really happened to these guys. Well, despite everyone's objections or concerns, on January 7th, both Barbara and Carly give the funeral homes the go-ahead to cremate Casey and Caleb's remains. By January 15th, they're back in the U.S. and all four of them stop by Casey's mom and stepdad's place. And of course, everyone is super emotional, still trying to process what happened, which means talking about it. And Barbara is telling the story about that night, about Casey's missing flip-flop, the beach bar, the rum and coke. Only this time, she says that it wasn't just Caleb and Casey who went back to the bar to retrieve that lost flip-flop. She says now that she was there too. It's such a nice perk to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places. But working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G 
than anyone else. And that's been great for me, especially because these last few months, I've been doing a lot of on the ground reporting with our team from northern Wisconsin to Utah to the middle of nowhere, Indiana. No matter where I go, I'm able to stream, make calls or get those case altering DMs from sources, which that's my favorite part. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds, according to analysis by Ookla of Speedtest Intelligence Data Q3 2023. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're anything like me, when you have something weighing on your mind that's taking up time and energy, the best thing you can do is to talk about it. But sometimes that's also one of the hardest things to do, too. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com crimejunkie today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crimejunkie. In fact, according to reporting by Sandra Soberai-Westfall and Jeff Truesdell for People magazine, Barbara tells them that all three of them sipped from the same drink as they carried it back to the apartment. Wait, I'm just realizing if in her first version of events, she wasn't with them, how was there even a story about the drink? Like, how would she have known? I don't know. The only thing I can think is... I mean, remember, when they come back, at that point, Casey is still okay, right? Because he's the one that tries to give Caleb CPR. Okay. I don't know if maybe he mentioned the drink. It's truly, it's never explained how she knows about this rum and coke. Well, I guess there would also be like a cup because it's a rum and coke. If they kept it, right? Like, again, I, I don't know when all this is going down. It's a little bit of a mystery. All I know is that at one point she says it's the two of them, and now she's putting herself with them as well, which is a little bit of a change. And not only with them, but drinking from the same drink that they had. So if that's the case, why didn't she get sick too? Well, she says that she did get sick, but she hadn't had as much of the drink. So she says she didn't get as sick. And maybe this is part of why she, I don't know about the other people, but you know, it's in the report that they all looked out of it. Maybe she really wasn't feeling well. I don't know. But Barbara also tells Casey's family that police arrested all four of them, which is also news to us. And they confiscated their phones and their laptops. They locked them up in separate cells. They withheld food and water, and they refused to put them in touch with the U.S. consulate. 
And so, again, when we go back to, like, why they were like, we got to get out of here now, she talks about how scared they all were and about what a challenge it was for them to even get off the island. And at one point, Barbara says that the only reason they were able to leave the island is because Chuck's dad wired them $40,000. Wait, $40,000? Yeah. For what? I don't know if this was like a point of discussion during the visit with the family. And frankly, it's still not clear to me what this $40,000 was exactly for. But all of the media coverage on this case tends to suggest that if this indeed did happen, it was likely some kind of payoff. Wait, you said if this happened, do they think that Barbara's lying? Well, no. I mean, not at first anyway. But for Casey's family, the questionable stuff like this just keeps adding up. The quickie cremation, Barbara's new story about her being poisoned too, this 40 grand payment they had to make to get off the island. It's just, it's all strange. And so is the fact that the whole time that the four of them are at Casey's parents' place that day, Barbara was the only person who talked. Apparently, Carly, Chuck, and Alicia were just silent. And remember, I mean, these are very good friends of Casey's. They know Casey's mom and stepdad better than, honestly, Barbara does, actually. And they've known them for longer. Like, these are not strangers, but they don't say a word. And then, right before they leave, Barbara tells Casey's family not to talk about what happened in Anguilla or publicize anything because it'll just cause problems. Even when the subject of a memorial service comes up a couple of days later, Barbara says that she doesn't want to have one at all. Casey wouldn't want it. But, like, his family knows Casey. He was energetic. He was super outgoing. He was a wildly social guy. He's the kind of guy who would have, like, 500 people show up. Yeah, and have, like, a celebration of life, even. Like, it seems bananas to them that he would deny anyone the opportunity to come together in their grief and remember him. Again, none of this is adding up for his family. And listen, we've said it a hundred times on this show. People grieve in different ways. There is no right or wrong way. Okay, okay. But we're not talking about, like, is someone crying enough or too much? Or did they go out to a party the next night? None of that. Because I totally agree. That doesn't matter. Like, that doesn't say anything about grief. But, I mean, telling the family not to ask questions or say anything publicly or, I mean, even having a memorial service. Here is the one thing I will say about the memorial service, because this piece stuck out to me because everyone thinks it's so weird. I would never deny anyone else having a memorial service. I don't know that I could do a funeral. If Eric died, I have always said, like, funerals are not for the people, like, closest to the person, in my mind. Like, I don't want to be around people. I don't want to stand there with a processional of everyone coming and shaking my hand when I'm, like, grieving the most. It's like, I feel like funerals are almost like the people grieving the most having to put on a show for the people who are grieving less. And I I hate it. I, I don't think I could function in a memorial service. So it's to me, it's not weird that she doesn't want to do that or even thinks that he wouldn't want to do that. Okay, but if that's the case, say like, I don't feel like putting my grief on show, essentially. Yeah, If exactly. you want to have a memorial service, that's fine. I just don't know if I emotionally and mentally can participate. And that's what I'm saying. Like, again, I totally get I couldn't participate, but I would never tell Eric's family not to do anything. Exactly. So, I But guess, of course, me not showing up, everyone's going to think I murdered Eric. So, cool. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's one thing. But we also have, like, don't ask questions. Don't say anything. Don't talk to the public. Yeah. And also... Don't provide a a chance for his friends and family to experience grief together. All of it sandwiched together, not a great look. 
Yeah, I mean, for Casey's family at this point, it's honestly just like nothing but questions. Their 37-year-old son and his best friend, both healthy and young men in the prime of their lives, dropped dead on the same night. Like, I mean, we're not 37 yet, but like, this would be like me and you dying Yeah, at the same time on the same night. And everyone being like, don't ask questions, don't talk to anyone. Like, it was super weird, but like, everyone move on. We're just gonna get new hosts of Crime Junkie. Like, look the other way. Well, and on top of that, like, our spouse is going to our families. Yeah. Knowing that, like, you and I have been friends for ages and being like, yeah, this isn't what they would want. And we'd be like, from wherever we are, being like, no, question yeah. something, please. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, like their families are questioning stuff. Like they want to know what happened. They want to know why it happened. And the whole time Barbara is saying that someone, you know, must have poisoned their drink at the bar. But for whatever reason, she doesn't seem to want to find out who. In fact, none of the four people who were there when Casey and Caleb died seem to be asking that question. Like, OK, if they got poisoned, who poisoned them? Which if they aren't asking the question, like that just makes me think like, there's got to be more to the story that they know that they aren't letting on. Yeah, and that's just the most obvious question. As Casey's family starts kind of like peeling back the onion, more questions emerge. For example, that $40,000 Barbara said that Chuck's dad wired them so they could get off the island and get back home. Well, they can't find a record of that money anywhere. And they're saying it's some kind of payoff? No, no, no. That, that just seems to be like the implication in everything that I've read. No one is saying that. But the four people who had been on the island, they talk about corruption and extortion among authorities on the island. So I think that the assumption is that if this payment actually happened, again, there's no record of it, that it was potentially a payoff, money in exchange for freedom, basically. And if you think about it, it's in the Anguillan Authority's best interest to kind of make this case go away. I mean, it's an economy driven almost exclusively by tourism, high-end tourism. I mean, Anguilla is not a cheap Caribbean destination. Right. And I mean, murder is obviously pretty bad for business. I think we saw this in the Natalie Holloway case a little bit, too. Yeah. I mean, or again, even if it's a murderer, any kind of unexpected death of American travelers in general could hurt that. Totally. And you said there had been an autopsy there on the island. Like, I would assume a legit autopsy. Wouldn't that have ruled on some sort of manner of death? So... Yes, that would definitely be in the purview of a forensic pathologist. But whatever information was gleaned from that autopsy, that's just another thing in the long list of things that Casey's family doesn't have. Like they don't have and they cannot get despite their best efforts because, of course, they aren't Casey's next of kin anymore. Barbara is. Uh, This is a great time to remind people to let A couple people know about your If I Go Missing file, not just one person. Yeah. But regardless, did she get this and share it with them? So I don't know for sure if any official documents are released to Barbara either. On January 7, 2019, on the Royal Anguilla Police Force's Facebook page, the chief of police said that they would be releasing post-mortem results, issuing death certificates, and sharing the pathologist report with the next of kin. Barbara and Carly, who at the time that this is happening were still in Anguilla. And that's the same day that the bodies were cremated. But whether or not they actually released this stuff, again, they said they were going to, but if they actually did, I don't know. 
I just know that none of that stuff made it to Casey's family back home in Oregon. And while that was definitely frustrating, I don't know if that's really surprising. Because honestly, I don't get the sense that Barbara had ever been super close to Casey's family anyway, even though they'd been together for like 13 years at this point. Because like Casey and Barbara actually lived in California the whole time, whereas Casey's parents were still in Oregon where they grew up. Like, Casey's family knew Barbara a little bit, like, at least enough to know that she and Casey had a lot of shared interests. They loved to travel. They loved adventure. They loved to be outdoors. Honestly, she was exactly the kind of person they expected and hoped that Casey would end up with. The only thing about Barbara that gave them pause was her age. She was 22 years older than Casey. And the age difference didn't seem to bother him in the least. So honestly, it didn't bother his family really either. They got married in 2012. At the time, Casey was 31. Barbara was 53. And by then, Casey had moved from a job in pharmaceutical sales to a new career as an actor. And he was having some success with small roles. I guess he like booked a little spot on like the bold and the beautiful. But after the two were married, Casey's family noticed a shift in him. Like he became distant. Casey's dad told Sandra Sobri Westfall and Jeff Truesdell from People Magazine that Casey told him basically, listen, Barbara doesn't like family, so there's not gonna be any kids. We're not gonna do holidays. We're not gonna do birthday parties. None of that. Um, what does that even mean? She doesn't like family. Like, she just doesn't do family. I mean, basically, it seems like this was their way of saying, like, hey, don't expect us at the reunion or family dinners or anything like that. And listen, while that was, like, no doubt tough to hear, Casey, again, he seemed happy. And he and Barbara both traveled a ton for work. He was spending more time in L.A. trying to, you know, get his acting work going. And he hadn't had his big break yet, but things honestly seemed good. So it was kind of surprising for his parents to find out, kind of all of a sudden, that Casey and Barbara were going to move to Anguilla so that Casey could go to medical school. I mean, was it surprising because he was moving so far away? Well, honestly, that part's not surprising. I mean, for a guy who loved adventure and travel, like, living on this island is, like, right within his wheelhouse. What's surprising is, like, Casey had never said anything about being a doctor before. Like, this wasn't some lifelong dream of his. Not that it necessarily has to be, but at this point, he's 37 years old. He has years of school ahead of him. He just came out from being, like, an actor. It's a weird time in your life to pivot to something that requires such specialized training. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I literally worked in the medical field for a while. Never heard of it happening. Right, because you have, like, school and then training, and then you have to, like— basically intern for a while Mm -hmm. like there's a lot that goes into it that's what Grey's Anatomy taught us (laughs) so anyways all of that is to say that Casey's family had never been particularly close with their daughter-in-law which puts the family completely out of the loop on what's going on with the police investigation at least through official channels But the family does find a local in Anguilla to kind of be their eyes and ears on the ground. And it's that person who is finally able to get their hands on some of the official police documents, which they hope is going to help clear up some of this murkiness surrounding Casey's death. But if anything, it does the exact opposite. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Spring has sprung, and so has allergy season. But when it comes to the cost of your allergy meds and other prescriptions, checking GoodRx can help you save and stay healthy. 
GoodRx is the free, fast, and easy way to find the prescriptions you need at a lower price. With GoodRx, you can instantly find discounts, compare prices, and save up to 80% at the pharmacy. GoodRx is accepted at all major pharmacies in your neighborhood, including CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid Bonds, Walmart, Sam's Club, and many more. And remember, GoodRx works whether you have insurance or not. Even if you have insurance, GoodRx may beat your copay price. So if you're looking for seasonal allergy relief with low-cost prescription medications, GoodRx is a walk in the park for you this spring. For simple, smart savings on your prescriptions, check GoodRx. Go to goodrx.com slash crimejunkie. That's goodrx.com slash crimejunkie. KLBI 5 News reported that Casey's cause of death on his death certificate is listed as, quote, pulmonary edema, cardiac toxicity, cardiac ischemia, hypothermia, and seizures, end quote. Okay, we have to pause. Did you say hypothermia? Yes, okay, I don't know why this is. It's so amazing how you'll like read something or, or talk out loud. Like I have read this, written this like so many times and I don't know well, why. And it's a direct quote. So like you just have it here. Yeah. But hypothermia, they're on like a Caribbean island. Yeah. Like again, you're like walking barefoot on the beach. What hypothermia? That is bizarre to me. But again, it doesn't get like point like that's not the thing that stands out. But all of a sudden I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, me too. And listen, so all of these things together, it's not so much a cause of death. It's more like a list of things that happened and contributed to his death. The cause of death would be the other thing that was apparently noted in these documents, which is that Casey died from a lethal dose of cocaine and MDA, which, by the way, is not MDMA like Molly or ecstasy, but it is similar. Like it has a similar effect on the person taking it. But according to Healthline, it produces a heavier high and lasts longer. And on the flip side, an overdose can cause both convulsions and seizures, among other things. Casey's sister, Debony told Still a Mystery that her brother had not just overdosed by accident, though. They found apparently four times the lethal amount of MDA in his system. Okay, so knowing that all this time we were told that they got sick from that drink... I'm going to be honest, I was kind of expecting them to find something like GHB or Rohypnol, not something like ecstasy, right? Well, and at that level, I mean, that sounds to me like someone either didn't have a clue what they were doing if they were trying to spike a drink, or this was like specifically intentionally made to be deadly. Mm-hmm. So do we know if Casey or Caleb or... Honestly, anyone in the group used drugs, like, even once in a while. Like, they could have gotten their hands on MDA and overdosed by accident. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if, how frequently they might have used drugs, if they did at all, but I would have no idea how much to, like, administer or take to receive any sort of high at all, let alone kill someone. Yeah, so I agree, like... I don't know if I would be overdosing. Like, I don't think they like drugs from like a dealer comes with like an instruction manual. And all of the source material, though, for this episode says that neither Casey nor Caleb used drugs. So again, to your point, like, who knows? But like, at the same time, like Casey's also a 37-year-old grown man. It's not like the kind of thing you bring up at a family dinner, or, like lead in like conversations with random people. Like, oh, like, yeah, did MDA this weekend. Totally, totally. So I don't think it's something that you can rule out 100%, like that they didn't dabble in this, not necessarily on this night, but ever, unless you were like with them. And I mean, again, God knows we know people keep secrets. 
Okay, but on that note, these are like some of his closest friends who are all hanging out with him over a holiday. But here's the thing. They're not talking, though. Like, it's Casey's family who's saying like, oh, he didn't do drugs. Caleb's family who's saying, oh, he didn't do drugs. Like, these four people who are with them, again, are like keeping a pretty tight lip about everything that happened on that island. Mm Mm-hmm. And honestly, it turns out Casey had been keeping a secret as well, at least from some people. Like, it wasn't until after his death that his friend Chris, who was also his agent back when he was acting and had known Casey like 10 years, even found out that he was married. What? Yeah, Chris says that to everyone that he knew in L.A., where he spent a ton of time over the years, he was just this carefree single guy. Like, they had no idea that he had a partner, let alone a wife. Like Chris told People Magazine, quote, no clue, no nothing that he was married. He once told me about a wedding that he had gone to as a best man. And after talking to Debony, I learned that he'd been telling me the details of his wedding. That's not an oops, I forgot to tell you type of thing. This was a deliberate lie, end quote. Um, yeah, it was. But why? No one knows why. But clearly, this is a man with secrets. So could he or any of the others in the apartment that night have been using drugs? Sure. And there's something in the police report that sticks out for me, at least. Can you actually read just that first paragraph under investigation? Sure. It says, quote, While on the scene, the police officers observed what appeared to be a legal substance inside the living area of the apartment. The scene was processed by the RAPF Scenes of Crime Officers, and the said items collected along with others were collected as exhibits. Based on what was recovered, a search warrant was later executed at the apartment, and certain items were collected and later handed over. End quote. So, that's a super vague statement. Does it say what the substance was? Like, maybe the same ones found in their systems? So the police report doesn't say, nor does any of the other source material that our team pulled together for this episode. So still TBD. Now, during the summer of 2019, Casey's family is frustrated with the lack of information and action. And so they hire a private investigator, one who has some experience investigating suspicious deaths overseas. The highest profile of his cases is one you've already brought up, Natalie Holloway, who vanished while in Aruba back in 2005. And you guys probably remember we actually covered that case in our fan club back in early 2020. Anyway, the family hires him, and by mid-August, he has tracked down something new. He gets his hands on Caleb's death certificate. And like everyone assumed that it was going to look pretty much identical to Casey's, you know, since they had supposedly drank from the same poisoned drink. Right. And Caleb did have a lethal dose of MDA and cocaine in his system, just like Casey. But it also showed a few other things that are as shocking as they are confusing. The living room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. Take it from someone who has made the mistake. And I should have freaking known better because in our very first house, we got a sectional from Ashley's store. And it was amazing. So beautiful, withstood a lot. I mean, Chuck is absolutely invited on all the furniture, but you couldn't tell. And that couch, after years of service, then supported our lazy butts during COVID when we binge watch show after show after show. Not even so much as an indent in my favorite cushion. Long story short, when we moved houses, I was like, oh, I'll get a new couch. It costs more money. It must be better. No, I hate it. It looks like we've had it for a zillion years. Meanwhile, the Ashley couch is still thriving at my brother's place. 
And as if their stuff wasn't quality before, the new high-performance furniture from Ashley Store is somehow even better. It's designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Listen, I have corrected all of my mistakes, and we now have their new high-performance durable furniture. I got it in this beautiful shade of blue. I got some chairs. Love them, love them, love them. So whether you're hosting and toasting or just enjoying furry friends, you can relax knowing you have the durability and convenience of Ashley Store's newest assortment of high-performance furniture. Shop the life-resistant high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. If you've been wanting to update your wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, Quince is for you. Build up a lineup of timeless pieces that keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14-karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. You all know I love my cashmere pieces from Quince and Ashley can't get enough of their bodysuits, but I have two words, washable silk. I can't get enough washable silk dresses, skirts, and blouses from Quince, and I used to like save silk for special occasions, but since these are washable silk, I'm wearing silk like every day. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash crime junkie for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash crime junkie to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash crime junkie. Caleb's autopsy also found asphyxiation, manual strangulation, ligature strangulation, and multiple blunt force traumas. What? Yeah. He was strangled with a ligature? That's what the death certificate says. And that's, to be clear, never mentioned before right now in this episode, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, cool, cool. Got it. Yeah, and I wish I could give you more information about the findings or what they even mean, but that is literally the sum total of what's out there on this. I mean, that's because the information is going through Barbara and Carly because they're the legal next of kin, right? That's part of it, yes. But the other part is that there was supposed to be a coroner's inquest into the deaths. The chief of police references it way back in early January on that same Facebook post that I mentioned before. He says, quote, the case will go before the coroner at the end of January, end quote. But that didn't happen. And in Sandra and Jeff's People cover story, they report that the inquest wasn't officially called until September, nine months after Casey and Caleb died. I mean, I guess it's better late than never. But I mean, what were the findings? No, no, no. I said the inquest was called, not that it happened, because it Uh, didn't. Ashley. Yeah, it still has not happened as of this recording. What? According to a GoFundMe set up by the family to help cover the costs of their PI, which we will link to in the show notes and on the blog post, police have subpoenaed all four of the witnesses, Barbara, Carly, Chuck, and Alicia, but all four have refused to return to the island to testify. I found at least one reference to them being subpoenaed three different times. And I guess Anguillan authorities can't or won't proceed without the testimony 
of those four witnesses. That's where the answers Casey's family is looking for are going to come from. So this also means that until this inquest happens, the police investigation is officially still open, which means police aren't going to share what they know with anybody, especially Mm -hmm. if they're considering possible criminal charges. Right. The People Magazine piece that I mentioned talks about an email that Barbara wrote in the spring of 2019 to some friends that said Anguillan police charged both her and Chuck with manslaughter, but then didn't end up prosecuting them because, quote, we had suffered enough, end quote. Okay, I'm sorry, what? The authorities were just like, you seem really sad, and I know this is really hard for you, so we're just gonna, I don't know, not charge you. Something like that, but here's the thing, for what it's worth, the family doesn't believe that this even happened. Again, there is no record anywhere of charges being filed, no paperwork or anything like that. Okay, hear me out. What if that untraceable $40,000 was maybe to make the charges disappear, though? Again, if that even exists, like you could say that, like, we won't charge you guys with murder as long as you, A, pay us a huge sum of money and B, keep quiet about the whole thing altogether. So our reputation stays all bright and shiny. And tourists can keep sunning on our beaches and all that stuff. Again, there's no record of any of this. So like, how can you even say that that's true? Now, there is something else that I should mention because you'll see it come up in the source material if anyone like looks into this case on their own. In late February of 2020, the family's private investigator finds two life insurance policies, one on Barbara and one for Casey. And like, listen, there's nothing suspicious about that. Life insurance is good. I have it, Eric has it. But what catches his attention is when Barbara filed for a payout under Casey's policy. According to Still a Mystery, she tried to cash in on that the day she got out of jail. As you know, love playing devil's advocate. Is there like an acceptable time you're supposed to wait? I mean, maybe she had to pay Chuck's dad back for that mysterious 40000 like if it even if happened. If that happened, yeah. <laughs> maybe she needed money to get them all back to the States. I mean, there could be reasons for her to want that cash. I totally get And I don't know this for sure, but I kind of find it hard to believe that no one would be willing to help her. Again, you have somebody offering a private plane for you. It seems weird that, like, I have to assume, again, never cash in on life insurance policy, that there's a lot of paperwork, you have to jump through hoops. And if you're really so scared that you're like, we have to, like, cremate my husband's body, get out of here this second, like, wouldn't it be easier to get money from family than, like, go through trying to get a life insurance policy payout? Well, and now that you're kind of talking about it, I would assume that you would probably need, like, an official death certificate to submit to the... (gasps) Good insurance company to prove that whoever was covered actually died, right? Yeah, I don't know. But listen, that's not the only thing that the PI discovered. He also found that just a few months earlier, just before they left for Anguilla, Barbara had attempted to increase Casey's life insurance by $1.5 million. Okay, but did she have a life insurance policy too? Like, was there a policy on her where Casey would have then been the beneficiary? So like I said, they did both have policies. It it was a million-dollar policy based on what Casey told his mom at that point for both of them. But the thing that I don't know is if they also tried to increase hers. Okay, so how much did insurance end up paying out? Like, millions? Well, they haven't paid out anything, at least not yet. Even though Anguillan police haven't filed any charges or named any suspects or even shared any theories about what they think happened, there is still, again, an open investigation to determine the manner of death for both Casey and Caleb. And as I understand it, until the coroner's inquest is complete, they aren't going to pay out at all. So basically, Barbara 
not going back is holding up the inquest Mm -hmm. and therefore holding up her insurance payout. Right. Is it really that simple? No, no, no. You're not like that's that's it. It's a total catch 22. Okay, so that's it. Like the case is at a standstill waiting for the four survivors to go back to the island to testify then. Casey's family is still out there rattling cages, trying to find answers to their lingering questions, trying to find out the truth about what happened that night. But they are stuck in this horrible game of freeze tag between the Anguillan police and the four witnesses where no one is it. The witnesses won't go back to testify, which means the inquest can't happen, which means Barbara's insurance won't pay out and no one ever really gets to the truth. Right. It's like a snake eating its own tail. Mm hmm. But I did have a question. Can't these people be extradited back to the island? Well, I'm pretty sure that they can only do that when there are criminal charges. And like, I mean, surely the fact that Caleb was strangled is enough to at least file charges and get them down here. I mean, you would think. But the thing is, again, like, I don't know enough about the investigation to say that they're like considering them suspects. Again, they're, they're called witnesses. So I don't think you can charge anyone until you have more information. You can't get more information until you talk to who are now witnesses. And again, all of this on top of the fact that the Anguillan authorities, I don't think are chomping at the bit to press charges or even get that inquest underway for all the reasons we said before. Right, like they're doing the bare minimum to keep the family, quote unquote, happy mm-hmm. while also not hurting like their entire economy. Right. And I assume that there's Nothing the U.S. government can do either. Well, actually, I'm pretty sure they can do something. Or at least that's my totally unqualified interpretation of Section 18 of the Criminal Code. Basically, what I found is the U.S. government can't get involved in everything that happens in another country, obviously. But they can when it comes to murder, manslaughter, and attempted murder or manslaughter. And I suspect that they need to pick their battles wisely. And I'm not sure if they can step in at the behest of the family against the wishes of both the legal next of kin and the foreign country in which the crime occurred. Or I don't know if this request has to come for law enforcement for them to do it. Right, right. According to the Murder in Paradise website, the family has contacted the U.S. State Department but didn't get anywhere, partly because there were so few official documents and partly because they, again, are not next of kin. Okay, but, I mean, doesn't that all change when the person who is next of kin, I don't know, might also be tangled up in all of this? I guess not. I don't know. So until something changes, until the Anguillan authorities file charges or get tough with their subpoenas, until the four witnesses actually go back there to testify at the inquest, that big pile of questions that Casey's family has been trying to get answers to since January of 2019 are still unanswered. And that intercontinental game of freeze tag continues. So has the family's PI gotten anywhere with their investigation? Not that I'm aware of. Nothing that is out there and available to be used for source material anyway. In statements from the family to media on the Truth and Justice for Casey and Caleb Facebook page, there are several sort of cryptic references to more information coming, like big stuff that's supposed to be coming, that sort of thing. And at one point in January 2021, there was a post on the Facebook page saying, that the family had met with Anguillan authorities and that a, quote, bold new initiative was discussed. But either it's like a really long buildup to that or more likely whatever they were promised by either the police or their PI didn't end up coming through. Now, I think like there are probably two ways to look at this case. The first is through a sort of 
conspiracy theory-ish lens where you see the insurance policy and the cremation and the silence as evidence of murder or evidence of something sinister, like a planned deliberate poisoning. But the other one is that two men accidentally overdosed and police made a deal with the survivors that they wouldn't pursue charges for possession or manslaughter or whatever as long as they came up with $40,000 and agreed to keep their mouths shut. Okay, if that's the case, though, then calling this inquest and issuing those subpoenas, like, that's what? Musical theater? Well, either that or another option. It's honestly possible the subpoenas didn't actually happen. Like, I couldn't find any official published statements from the Anguillan police confirming that they issued subpoenas. That was something that the family said police told them. I mean, none of this would surprise me, except for the fact that Caleb was found by police already dead and strangled. I mean, he may have ultimately died from whatever you said, complications from MDA poisoning, but ligature strangulation is not a complication of that. No, I agree. And that's where it's like, even if it was an accident, even if it was something you had no, no control over, like something else happened. We're missing a piece of this story. So it's like one of two big things that I just cannot wrap my head around in this case. Okay, so what's the other one? Well, the other one is Barbara's story. I mean, first of all, the changing nature of it over time, but mostly that she's saying she, Caleb, and Casey all drank from that same drink, that single rum and Coke, but she just ended up feeling kind of sick and they straight up died. And like, I know she only had a few sips, but remember, if there really was four times the lethal dose of MDA in that cup and she had any of it, one sip, a couple of sips, I would think that she would have been Again, if not dead too, severely ill. Like again, it's enough to kill two perfectly healthy fit men, but only make this 62-year-old woman a little bit sick? Well, and what I keep coming back to is they took all four of them to the hospital to be checked out, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you would think that if she did ingest some of this poisoned rum and coke, she wasn't feeling well. The hospital would know, hey, police brought these four people in. We should really look into anything out of the ordinary. Yeah, but I don't know if they did any like kind of drug testing on them. I think they just were like, hey, you guys seem out of it. Are you okay? And I have no idea what was done there before they were released. But regardless, like even if she's not feeling well, you would think that that would be manifesting in some way, whether she tells them, whether she, I don't know, man, physically acting unwell. I, I don't know. I have been up and down and sideways on this case. And I can tell you, based on what tiny little bit of factual information is out there, official police reports, witness statements, that kind of thing, honestly, everything is conjecture. But do I think there is more to this story? Absolutely. Again, maybe not cold-blooded murder kind of stuff, but there is something we are missing. Those four survivors might know more than they're saying, which, by the way, is still nothing at all at this point. And until someone with actual authority decides to take this on, I don't know if we're going to ever get down to what really happened that night in Anguilla. Don't forget, guys, we're going to link to the GoFundMe in the show notes on the blog post where you can also find all of our source material for this episode. That's CrimeJunkiePodcast.com. And follow us on Instagram at CrimeJunkiePodcast. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. But stick around for Prophet of the Month.
Crime Junkie is an audio Chuck production. So, what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? So today's prophet is named Jock, and he is a total rock star, Ashley. His owner, Caroline, sent us his story, and I thought it was just too good not to share with our listeners. Jock or Jacques? I actually... I actually emailed because <laughs> you're giving you're giving me uh, flashbacks to when I totally bungled the Sumter County Stone episode. Not gonna lie, I actually emailed Caroline to confirm. I was like, "Is it Jacques like a like with a hard J, or is it Jacques like Jacques. French?" And she's like, "It's Jacques like a football Jacques." And I was like, "Okay." I also <laughs> asked her to specify how to pronounce her name. I'm just traumatized by that episode. It'll never it'll haunt me till the day I die. Okay, well, you might get a kick out of this too. I panicked and I was like. Is it Caroline or Carolyn? Carolyn. It's Caroline, Brian. Brian. <laughs> if any, oh, I was going to say, we're getting really deep into like <laughs> the Sumter County Does is an inside joke with all crime junkies. Because if you guys didn't know, like I messed up that episode hard. I never went back and fixed it. You can just see my Midwest showing from miles away. Yes. Uh, this one is what Brian Regan. Yes. Caroline? One of his stand ups was about Caroline versus Carolyn and how people get mad about it. All right, Prophet of the Month has gone way off track. Bring us back in, Britt. Sure thing. (laughs) So, Caroline grew up in an apartment, never had a dog, but she met a guy who had a Scottish terrier named Jock. And he was so sweet and playful, and she wanted to be clear that that's the dog she's talking about. And Caroline just fell in love with him immediately. But there was a little problem or hiccup in her relationship with Jock. Whenever she slept over, he'd wake her up in the middle of the night, like, get in her face and growl till she woke up. Oh, She would get up, let him out, but he'd freak out because that's not what he wanted. So she'd bring him in because no one likes the neighbor with the berserk dog in the middle of the night. No. And it just kept happening for like months to the point that Caroline was barely sleeping and she couldn't get it. Like she did not understand. Like during the day, he was the perfect little gentleman, would be sweet and so well behaved. But in the middle of the night, he would just not let her sleep. And she finally found a solution. When Jock would wake her up, she'd take him to the kitchen and get them each a spoonful of peanut butter. He calmed down and she got a little snack. It was something that they could work with. <laughs> Me and Chuck, just so you know, we have this kind of routine too, but it's salami that we get at two o'clock. <laughs> So after a month of their little ritual, she still wasn't sleeping, but she did notice that some nights her blood sugar levels would dip kind of into a dangerously low range. Stop, Brett. She's diabetic, so this was something to keep an eye on for sure. I can't. I know where this is going. I'm about to die. Okay. One night, Jock didn't just wake her up. He woke the entire house up, barking, running around, licking her face, everything. It was like nothing he had ever done before. He just would not calm down. And he got super protective of her, like almost biting her boyfriend when he got close to her. Is everyone listening like heart like beating? I'm like sweating because I know what's coming and I'm so obsessed. Yes. So they ended up having to crate him, which they never have to do. That's his space. He puts himself to bed there with his blanket, his stuffed elephant. But he was going so off the wall that they had to contain him. And Caroline finally checked her sugar and it was super, super low, lower than it had ever been. And she was rushed off to the emergency room where she was admitted to the hospital for like three days to regulate her sugar. (gasps) It turns out the insulin that she was prescribed was way too high of a dose. And if it hadn't been for Jock and his instinct to keep her safe, she possibly would have never found that out and could have even died that night. I... 
can't. That is oh so magical. I know. So we know that dogs can be trained to do amazing things. Detect low blood sugar, the onset of seizures, all sorts of things to help humans with health conditions. But get this, Jock has never had any training for that. I know that's what makes it so magical is he was just like so in tune to her. I like And as far as they know, she is the first and only diabetic person he's ever been around. That is unreal. But because of him, Caroline was able to get on the correct dosage. She's doing great. She and Jock are inseparable. Well, he freaking saved your life. You better be. (laughs) Right. Like he's up with her every morning. So she's not late for work. Waits for her to get home every night. Insists on cuddling on the couch with her always. And still watching out for her. Caroline ended her note to us by saying that she wasn't sure she wanted to submit the story at first, but actually she was writing to us in the middle of the night because Jock had woken her up again and sure enough, her sugar was low. I have freaking chills. I am so glad that she wrote us. This is one of the best stories I've heard in so long. What a like, we get a lot of sad ones. This is, I know. This is and a like, good start to finish. So heartwarming. Also, just picturing this adorable little Scottish terrier, which of course we will be posting pictures of on our website. Like, I don't know, saving someone's life, something casual like that. I just- Dog of the year. Oh, I love it. So as always, we like to highlight- a shelter or a rescue. And I asked Caroline if there was one that we could shout out for Jock. And she said that they are looking for their next fur baby at Second Chance for Life Rescue. And we'll be linking to them on our website as well. Voters know that bad weather, like storms, lightning, and wind, can turn a fun day on the water into a challenge. But what if you had satellite-delivered weather data giving you the full picture of what's around you, even when you're offshore and out of cell range? With SiriusXM Marine, get up-to-date weather and fishing info directly on your boat's display. Plus, you can add SiriusXM Entertainment. Visit SiriusXM.com Marine to learn more. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.